we're going to talk about being merciful. So as I was thinking through what we we're going to talk about today, I was thinking, who is somebody in history who was merciful? Who is someone who was, uh, didn't show much mercy? And then I remembered there was this guy who was known as Merciless. And I was thinking, in history, who was this guy? And I, had to, I could picture him. Then suddenly I realized his name. His name was Ming, Ming the Merciless. And I was like, what Chinese dynasty was he from? Where, 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 where in history what, what was he alive? What did he do? And then I suddenly realized, I'm like, he wasn't even a real person. He was uh, Ming the Merciless from the Flash Gordon comic series. Some of you don't even know who Flash Gordon is, but uh, he was like my hero growing up. And then I realized, well, he would not be a good example to use for a biblical illustration this morning. But anyway, but there's actually someone else who is a non-fictional character I, I wanted to use in a, as an illustration this morning about what we're going to talk about. And he comes from one of my favorite movies of all time. And I was actually going to show a clip of this movie this morning, but then I started watching it and realizing it was pretty gruesome. And so I thought it would not be that appropriate for a Sunday morning. But one of my favorite movies of all time is the movie Gladiator. Love the movie Gladiator. And if you've never seen it, then just want to give you a little uh, heads up of what the movie is kind of all about. So there's this guy called Maximus who was a general in the Roman Empire, in the Roman army. Um, and he was the hero of the Roman army. And uh, he had led his troops to a great victory. And as he's coming off the battlefield on this great victory, he gets word that the emperor, the Roman emperor, uh, emperor who he is friends with, has been murdered. And he finds out that it was actually the emperor's son, Commodus, who was the one who murdered him. Now, to, to, to make matters worse, the emperor actually wanted Maximus to take over and become the Roman emperor. And Commodus knew about this, and so he put a hit out for Maximus. So Maximus went on the run, and uh, he actually went to his home, which was in Spain at the time, to get his wife and his child. And as as he goes home, he finds that his wife and his child have been tragically murdered. Um, and as he goes on the run, he gets hurt. Uh, and then he finds himself uh, being uh, captured by slave owners. And he is sold into slavery. He finds himself in North Africa. And he is sold to a man called Proximo, who is the manager of a local gladiator school. Now, gladiators in the Roman Emperor, uh, empire were normally slaves, and they were they were basically put in, in an arena with wild animals or maybe other gladiators, and they would fight to the death. And it was an entertainment thing, and people would watch and cheer. So this gladiator school started to, 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 to go on tour and Maximus started getting a name for himself and they found themselves eventually in Rome. For Commodus, the new emperor, had um, uh, he, he, he had uh, uh, made these games, these state-funded games uh, in the Roman Colosseum and uh, the gladiators were the central part of these games. And so this gladiator school that Maximus is now a slave to finds itself in Rome fighting in the Roman Colosseum. Maximus, he fights his way to the top and he becomes the local hero. When Commodus finds out who Maximus really is, um, uh, he, he, he decides to do something to try to kill Maximus. So 
He puts Maximus in the center of the Roman Colosseum with some wild animals and the hero and the undefeated champion of Rome called Tigerus. And the odds are against Maximus. He is injured while he's going in to fight. Well, he overcomes and he wins the day. And you see this scene where Tigerus is on the floor and Maximus is about to kill him because that is what you do as a gladiator. And the, the crowd are cheering to kill him, kill him. And then the emperor, Commodus, he stands up and he basically says whether you should spare somebody or you should take their life and he tells Maximus you have to take the life of Tigerus. Well Maximus looks down and then he looks up in this epic moment and instead of killing him he decides to show mercy and not kill Tigerus. The crowd go wild and they go crazy but Commodus is very unhappy and following on that and I won't give you any if you haven't seen the movie I won't be a spoiler I won't tell you what happened at the end but basically Maximus is then known as Maximus the Merciful. Maximus the Merciful. Now this is a great movie and a great story in itself. However, when it's put in the context of the time of the Roman Empire, it is even more incredible that Maximus was to show mercy in this moment. And this is why. Because the Romans were unmerciful people. The only person that you would show mercy to if you were a Roman would be other Romans. They were people who did not really value life that much. If you were a slave, then your life had no value at all. And slave owners would easily uh, and wouldn't think anything about taking the life of a slave if they, that slave had done uh, a minor discrepancy or something. To show how bad the Romans were, fathers would, uh, would choose whether to accept newborn babies or not. And if a father chose that he did not want to accept a newborn baby, then they would take the baby out and drown the baby. It's pretty ruthless and nasty. Then the Romans invaded many other countries. And when the Romans invaded other countries, they were ruthless and they were harsh and nobody liked them. They weren't nice. They didn't come in and take over and say, we're going to build all nice new things and give you lots of money. No, they were ruthless to these people. The Romans were an unmerciful bunch and mercy in this time was shown as a weakness. And so this is why the words of Jesus are so profound because Jesus, when he lived and he taught and he performed miracles and he walked this earth, it was in the middle of the Roman Empire. The Romans had invaded the Middle East and they had overtaken this region called Judea where Jesus lived and Jesus taught and Jesus walked. The Romans had taken over the culture of the place and and now the culture was to not show mercy. And so when Jesus came and, and taught his followers certain things, they were amazed because Jesus would say things against the culture of the day. And this brings us to Matthew chapter 5. And, uh, and verse 7. Already through this series, we have discovered that Jesus is giving this sermon or this talk called the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts off with eight statements of how to be blessed or truly well off in this life. And we've already discussed four of them already. To be poor in spirit, to be mournful, to be meek or humble. And last week we talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But then Jesus makes this statement and this is the statement. 
God blesses those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Or blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Jesus made this statement, and in the culture of the day, this is the most amazing thing that Jesus is saying. The listeners of Jesus would have heard that and thought this was a weak saying. Many probably would have turned their noses up at this, and this is why. Because the Jewish people believed that God was going to send a Messiah and the Messiah was going to come and he was going to defeat the Romans. It was a king that was going to be raised up and defeat the Romans. And so they wanted somebody who was going to come and be more like Ming the Merciless than Maximus the Merciful. And so when Jesus said this, that blessed are those who, uh, blessed are the merciful for they shall be, receive mercy. The people did not like this. But what Jesus shows us through his life is that mercy is actually more powerful than revenge or retribution. And in your life right now, if you've got some issues with some people and you're thinking about revenge or retribution, you will actually find in your life that it is more powerful to show mercy than revenge or retribution. Now, the first four Beatitudes that we discussed, they were all about what God does in our heart, in our soul, eternally within us. But the next four, and the one we're going to talk about today in the next three weeks, they are all about what happens when, 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 when God works in our lives. And now, what is the overflow of what happens outside of our heart? So how we relate to other people. The first four is how God relates to us. The next four, how we relate to other people. And so Jesus said this, blessed are the merciful. This word merciful, when the New Testament was written, it was written in Greek. And uh, the Greek word for this is a Greek word called elio. And elio basically means this. It means to benefit someone, to become someone's benefactor or a beneficiary of others. And so this word here, to benefit someone, to benefit someone basically, or to be a benefactor basically means to help in another's course. And we mostly think about a benefactor in financial terms. If any of you have got a life insurance policy, then, uh, uh, then you probably have some beneficiaries. And if you pass away, you will be a benefactor because that life insurance policy will have money that will then be passed on to the beneficiaries. And that will either be someone maybe in your family or your children. And they will benefit for money that the insurance company gives. And we think of a benefactor in financial terms. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, a benefactor has a, a little different meaning. In fact, a benefactor is someone who breaks down the barriers we often build around people or ourselves. It means that we have to open the door of our soul and allow the God of mercy to work in and through us and work in others. It means we have to open a couple of doors. And this morning, I want to show you three doors in your life that you may have to open in order for you to become merciful and receive mercy in your life. And the first door that we need to open is this, the door of forgiveness. The door of forgiveness. To forgive means to stop holding something against somebody else. And many people find it hard to forgive because they are hurt. 
Many people had others who have done something against them and it has left a scar or it has left pain and it's left hurt. And many people don't want to forgive or find it hard to forgive because the pain is too much. They have this feeling that will not go away. And the problem is this, is that often we think that forgiveness is a feeling. But that's incorrect because forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. And so what we need to do is we need to make the choice to forgive. And, and forgiveness then opens the door so that mercy can come in and heal the pain and the hurts that's in your heart and in your life. Let me explain a different way. So but in 2002, I uh, had to go to the doctor because uh, I was born with this cyst on my chin. When my wife first met me, she thought I just had this big pimple that was constantly there on my chin. And she told me that years later. I still, she still even like fell in love with me then. But uh, I had this cyst on my chin. Well, in 2002, it started to grow. And I'm like, I don't want like a second head on my chin, so I need to go and get need to go and do something about it. So I went to the doctor, and the doctor inspected it. He was like, it's weird. I've never seen anything like this before. We need to get it checked out, make sure it's not cancerous, and we probably just need to get it removed. So he referred me to a surgeon, and so I went to uh, to my referral, and I went to the surgeon, and a wonderful guy's name was Doctor Padilla, and he was uh, from uh, from Egypt. And he was a great guy. And he started looking. And he was looking at my face. And he started doing all this stuff. I'm like, what is he doing? And, and uh, as he started talking, I started realizing that my primary care doctor had referred me to a plastic surgeon. I'm like, okay, uh, this is kind of weird. But um, so, so he starts looking at what he's going to do. And he says to me, he says, okay, we've got two choices. He says, we can either make a, an incision under the chin and take the cyst out, sew it back up, and you'll be left with a scar. Or we can try to go in through the mouth, take your skin off your jaw, and uh, try to scoop it out. He says, uh, he says, it won't leave a scar, but if I hit a nerve, you'll get like a droopy face. And so he said this. So he says, go away for two weeks, think about what you want doing, and then come back and we'll discuss it. So I go away, I come back in two weeks. I'm like, it's a scar. I'm a guy. I want a scar. Give me a scar. Please give me a scar. And the plastic surgeon was like, no, we're going to go through the mouth instead. So I was like, okay, <laughs> droopy face, here it is. <laughs> so then we go to the hospital, and I have, I'm getting ready for my surgery, get those crazy gowns that they put on you. They're about to wheel me to, to, uh, to the operating theater, and before they do that, the surgeon comes out, and he's got a clipboard with a bunch of papers. And he asked me to sign all these papers. The first one was basically give him, giving him authority to actually perform surgery and remove the cyst. The second one was uh, a, a, a form that I need to give a permission to the anesthesiologist to give me an anesthetic so I can be out for the count and be asleep while it's happening. The third one was that the hospital, were, I would not give, uh, try to find anything against the hospital if I did get the droopy mouth or you know the droopy lips. And so I signed all these documents and then as soon as I signed them, they wheeled me into the operating theater I went out for the count, I woke up, 
my chin hurt like crazy, but the cyst had gone and I had had plastic surgery. I bet you guys never realized that your pastor had plastic surgery. I've had a chin job. I'm like, I wish I had a nose job and an eye job and a belly job. But anyway, one of the youth this morning after first service said to me, she goes, you don't look like you've got a plastic face. And so uh, I thought that was pretty funny. But so I had this, but the secret to it was that the surgeon needed to go to work, but before the surgeon could go to work, I needed to give permission for the surgeon to actually perform what he needed to do, and that is exactly what forgiveness is in your life. Forgiveness is you giving permission so that God can come in and work in your life and mercy can come and work. See, forgiveness will never take the pain away. Forgiveness will never take the issue away. But what forgiveness will do, it will open the door so that God can work in your life. That is why you need to open the door of forgiveness. And if you are in this place today and you have unforgiveness towards someone else, uh, that feeling will not go away until you make that choice to forgive so that God can work in your life. Second door that we need to open is called the door, the, the door of love. The door of love. To, to, to love basically means to look on someone with affection. It means that your soul is moved and is affected by somebody else. And we talk about love a lot, especially in church, we talk about love. Uh, and when we think love is, is all that matters, it's all about love. And even the Beatles sang a song called, All You Need Is Love. But what I've discovered is that the Beatles were lying to us. Actually, all you need isn't love. Love is just one of the steps in life. Love isn't all you need because what love does, love moves you towards another person. It is the door that we open so that we can let someone else touch our soul and we can touch their soul. But it is actually the door that we open so that mercy can come in and act. See, God is constantly showing his love to you. God is constantly knocking on the door of your heart with his love and his grace so that mercy can come in and do a work in your life. So you need to open the door of forgiveness. And once you open the door of forgiveness, then you need to come and open the door of love. The third door that you need to open so that you can become merciful and receive mercy in your life is the door of grace. The door of grace. To show grace means to give a benefit or to show favor towards others. When people give you gifts, they are being gracious towards you. This Christmas, people will give you gifts. Not, that you, not because you're on the nice list, not the naughty list. It's just because they're gracious and they like you and they're going to give you gifts. Some of you parents, you are going to give way too many gifts to your kids this Christmas. And you know, for the best part of the year, they have been on the naughty list. But you're still going to give them gifts out of the graciousness of your heart. See, grace is not about receiving a reward it's a, or giving because someone deserves something. It's, because it's giving out of the goodness of your heart. And this is what God does to us every day. We do not deserve the gifts that God gives to us, but God still gives us out of the graciousness of his heart. Because God continually tries to open the door of grace and give unto us each and every day. He gives us forgiveness and peace and hope and joy and salvation and love. See, for us to open the door of grace, this is what it means. It means we need to start opening our hands towards others. 
People who are not gracious, they close their hands and they keep to themselves. But gracious people open their hands towards others. And then what happens? Mercy then comes in and helps people get back on their feet. This is what, this is what God has done for us. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. It says this, it says, Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But, then he says this, When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, not because we deserved it, but because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. And then this is grace. He said this, he generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ. Because of his grace, he declares us righteous and gave us confidence that we can inherit eternal life. This is what Jesus does for us. He gives us grace each and every day through his love and his forgiveness and his hope and his salvation. He gives us these gifts that we do not deserve. And that's what we need to do in others' lives. We need to open the door of forgiveness, open the door of love, open the door of grace so that then mercy can come in and mercy can act. Now, the, for people who walk in forgiveness and walk in love and walk in grace, there is an re- amazing reward that Jesus told us, and this is the reward. You also will receive mercy. You also will receive mercy. Now, for the listeners of Jesus that day, They were from a Jewish culture who did not guarantee mercy. You were not guaranteed mercy if you were a Jewish person. And this is why. If you remember the guy called Moses, he was the guy who had the beard and the stick and he went to Egypt and Pharaoh said, let my people go. And then they went across the Red Sea and then he took about a million plus people into the wilderness. While they were in the wilderness, God spoke to Moses and he said this, he said, build a tabernacle. A tabernacle, a tent, a tent that you are to build where God will meet man. And, 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 and you are to build this tent. And then what you are to do is that the priests are going to come and they're going to offer sacrifices in this tent. Uh, so, 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 so that I can forgive you of your sins because your sins uh, uh, deserve death. And so if you can get someone else to take your place, then I will give you mercy. And so what would happen is the high priest will come once a year and he would come into this tent and he would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the nation. And then they would see if God would accept the sacrifice or not. In the middle of this tent, there was a thing called the Ark of the Covenant. How many Indiana Jones lovers do we have here? Right? Ark of the Covenant. You know all about the Ark of the Covenant. It was a box. That was in the, uh, the tabernacle. And it was a box that represented the presence of God. And this is what Hebrews chapter 9 says all about it. It says, The first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. There were two rooms in the tabernacle. The first room were a lampstand, a table, and sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. There was a curtain, and behind the curtain was a second room called the most holy place. It's like the sequel to the holy place. In that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest 
called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark were a gold jar containing manna, which was this uh, grainy substance that God would, would give to the Israelites as they lived in the desert, and he would give them every morning as provision to them. Aaron's staff, which sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Above the ark were the cherubim, angels, of divine glory, whose wings stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement, or translated, the mercy seat. So the cover of the ark was called the mercy seat. But we cannot explain these things in detail now. Then he says this. When these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room. So if you were a priest, you could go to the holy place as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest, so the top dog, the number one guy, the guy that everyone was like, you're the high priest. One guy was able to enter the most holy place and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and the sins for the people had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented was still in use. So if you were a Jewish person and you wanted to receive mercy, then the high priest would have to make a sacrifice once a year, and then only the high priest could go into the, into the most holy place, then go behind the curtain into the most holy place, and he would offer the sacrifice before God, and then God would meet with man and meet with the priest, and then God would decide whether he would give mercy or not. And the place that they would offer it was on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. We've actually got a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, you can see on the screens, this is the Ark. And then there's the cherubim that, that go over it. And then underneath the cover, it's called the Place of Atonement or the Mercy Seat. And on this picture, you can see uh, what's inside the Ark of the Covenant. But then you see this glow uh, um, uh, that, that's, that's where that Mercy Seat is. And that represents the presence of God because it was at the Mercy Seat that God would meet with man. And Jesus is now saying this. And this is why Jesus is so radical. Because Jesus is saying this. He's not saying you have to get a, a, a high priest to make a sacrifice to, to then go into the most holy place to receive mercy. Jesus is saying this. He says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. This is amazing. Do you know why? Because now Jesus is saying, you, average Joe like you and me, we do not have to wait for just some guy once a year to go and see if our sins are forgiven. You now have access to the mercy seat. You have access to go and experience God. And the significance of the words of Jesus are amazing. He, he is saying this. He's saying God is saying to you that God will show you mercy for your sins when you are merciful to others. And this is why. Because Jesus, the Bible tells us, is our high priest. And Jesus, he went into the most holy place. He went before the mercy seat of God. And he gave of his own life for us. And God didn't just accept the sacrifice, and give us mercy for past sins. It was also for future sins as well. 
So that means that once and only sacrifice means that we can receive mercy each and every day. The good news for you is you don't have to come behind a curtain and get before God and say, God, will you give me mercy? You now have access to the mercy seat of God each and every day. You can walk up to God and you can receive the mercy of God. That is one of the most amazing truths you will ever find in the Bible, that God will give you mercy all because of what Jesus has done. Lamentations verse 3 and 22 tells us this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. This is the promise given to you. God's mercy never, ever ends. No matter what you've done, where you've been, who you are, God's mercy is available to you. Every morning, they are fresh and revitalizing. They are an inheritance for those who believe in Jesus Christ. That is what Jesus has done for us. And that is the reward that you will get. And this is an amazing promise. But there is a catch. There is a catch. See, when you read the Bible, you start to find out that this mercy seat, while it is available to all, it is not open to those who harbor unforgiveness or refuse to love or refuse to extend the hands of grace. See, as Jesus started to teach a little bit more. And as Jesus started to, 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 to develop this teaching, he started to, 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 his words started to get a little bit more harsh. And those people who would not give of themselves to God, they started to get offended by the words of Jesus. The Bible even tells us at one point, many no longer follow Jesus because of the words that he said. And when we get to Matthew 25, Jesus says some of the hardest words that you will ever hear And sometimes even myself, I'm like, okay, theologically, how can I rationalize this? But these are the words of Jesus, and this is what Jesus said. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate people as a shepherd separates the the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, the sheep, he says, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or fear and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me because they showed mercy to others. God's saying, I'm going to show mercy to you. And then he carries on. And looks at the goats. And they were the ones who didn't show any mercy to anybody. And God turns to them and he says, because 
you did not show mercy on others. So I will not be merciful to you. These are hard words of Jesus. Last week we talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And what I've discovered when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, the righteousness of God starts to change you. And the overflow of the righteousness of God is that you will start to forgive. You will start to walk and show love. You will start to become gracious towards others. James chapter 2 verse 13 reverberates the words of Jesus. Where he says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. And I used to fear these words. I used to think, oh, is God not going to be merciful to me? But I've realized I don't need to fear those words anymore. Because I'm someone, I've experienced the mercy seat of God. The day I gave my life to Jesus Christ was the day that I came before the mercy seat of God and, I'm, and God met me. And each day after that, this mercy seat is open to me and I can go and I can receive the mercy of God. And because I've received the mercy of God, I've realized the Holy Spirit is working in my life. And as the Holy Spirit has started to work in my life, the natural overflow of a, holy, of a changed life is that you will be merciful to others. And everyone who has hungered and thirsted for the righteousness of Christ has become just like Maximus. Merciful. I'm going to ask the band to come back this morning. As the band come back, I just want to finish with a quick story. I have a good friend of mine who this year some people said some really nasty things about them. Hurt them deeply, scarred them deeply. Really got offended and affected by the words that were said. Those people are no longer in that person's life. But still, you can still see the hurt. And this week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with this person. and The name of the other person who had offended them came up. And she just kind of like irked and had this nasty look on her face. And I'm like, why does that name offend you so much? She said, Alex, you just don't realize it hurt me so much. I'm so hurt and the pain is st- still stinks. And I turned to her and I said, you know, I know it hurts and I know it's painful. But you have to learn to forgive. I said, if you don't forgive, then the pain of what happened to you will continually happen and and you will feel it day after day. I said, forgiveness isn't just about a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness isn't so much about them and what they've done. It's about you. And I said, you're the only one right now who's hurting over this situation. And if you don't forgive, it will eat you up. I said, you've got to choose to learn to forgive. And this person, not a follower of Jesus, she turned to me and she said, I know. She goes, I know I've got to learn to forgive. She says, but I just can't. 
I just can't. They hurt me too much. And as she said those words, you know, internally my heart was crying because I knew she's never going to be able to get over that situation until she learns to forgive. But it wasn't just that because my heart was crying. I started hearing the words of Jesus and the words of James and the Apostle Paul when she said this. Throughout the Bible, you see a message for those who will not forgive. Forgiveness will not be extended to them. And until she learns to forgive, then God's mercy and grace will never be accessible to her because she's decided to close the door instead of open the door to forgiveness. And in your life right now, there may be some people that you are holding a grudge against, that you are holding unforgiveness to, and they hurt you. And the pain is so much. But if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you've got to learn to open the door of forgiveness. You've got to learn to love and learn to open your hands of grace towards others. Because when you experience the mercy seat of God, your soul becomes free, your life becomes amazing. And that is why blessed are the ones who show mercy, for they shall be given mercy as well. So no matter where you are today in your life, heed to the promises of God. Mercy is available to you, but you have to open the door to forgiveness, love, and grace so you can show mercy to others. Let's bow our heads in prayer.